we uh, get ready for communion will be in Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 13, just a few verses, 13 through 17. As we go through the book of Mark, we'll be in Mark 12, beginning with verse 13. And they, the leaders, sent to him, Jesus, some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them? Or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And they brought one. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. In these last few weeks, we have been studying rich passages in Mark's gospel as Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem to live out his final days on earth. One of the themes that we keep coming back to is authority. Jesus enters the city and is lauded as king. He curses a tree because it has no fruit. He clears out the temple of those who are buying and selling. He is questioned as to who told him he could minister in the way he has been doing. He tells a story about tenants who take over an estate which does not belong to them, defying the one who is in charge. All of these situations have to do with authority. Who gives it? Who takes it? Who ignores it? That is a crucial question for humanity in relationship to God. Who is in charge? We have been given free will, yet what does it mean that God reigns? In the scene we read today, the issue of authority continues to be the main topic. Should we pay our taxes? Tell us, Jesus, what should we do? Certain people come to him pretending that he is the authority, to ask him if God, if they should really pay, if God's people should pay the emperor, who to them is only a figurehead in charge. They're hoping to put Jesus in a paralyzing quandary. You see, it's an odd mix of people who come to him. The Pharisees, whose name means separated out ones, have great disdain for the Herodians. The Pharisees lead others religiously to a strict following of God's law. The Herodians are a political group of leaders who support a return of Herod's family to the throne. The Pharisees thought the Herodians had sold out and were traitors because they worked with the Roman Empire. Normally, they would not associate. But here they are acting as friends because they need one another to take Jesus down. And it makes us think. Those who follow God, yet want to bring political change wherever they are, must always check their motivation and proceed with caution. To be used or to use others for expediency may bring desired results, but more may be lost in the compromise when it is all over. 
To further understand the dynamics here, we need a bit more history. Herod the Great ruled in Judea as king appointed by a Roman Senate in 37 BC. He was loyal to the empire, who in turn gave him freedom and respect. But he had a mixed relationship with the people because he actually was a brutal despot, intent on building his kingdom his way no matter what. And when he died in 4 BC, after ruling for over 30 years, his kingdom was divided into three, with each of his sons taking a portion. One of them failed miserably, and so in 6 AD, the emperor Augustus removed him, replacing him with a Roman prefect over this part of Palestine where Jesus is. So one of the first things, of course, that Rome did was to levy more taxes, because more funds had to be generated. So there were three taxes that the people faced. One was a ground tax, where a percentage of the agriculture produced was levied. Another was an income tax, where 1% of a man's income had to be paid. And the last was a poll tax. All adults in Judea had to pay a denarius each year, simply because they were alive and because that's where they lived. This was universally hated by the people, as you can imagine. And one anti-tax rebellion had already been put down, and it was a continuing issue for the people of the day. So they come to Jesus, a group who has religious conviction, but no power politically. Mixing with a group who has political power, but not much religious credibility by those who are orthodox. They are the perfect pair for the question that they ask. If Jesus says that the tax is wrong, the Herodians can report him to the Roman authorities, who they hope would deal severely with him. If Jesus says, pay the tax, then he risks credibility with the people and those who believe that God is in charge, not Rome. Remember a few weeks ago, Jesus had boxed the leaders in with a question about John the Baptist. They couldn't answer it. They couldn't know how they could move. So they're trying to get the same result here of him not seeing what he should say. It's like a chess game. But they forget that they're playing with the master. And they forget that Jesus is not political. He's not going to get paralyzed in how to best answer because he's afraid for his side to win or because he fears not being liked by the people. Jesus is not afraid. He transcends the bounds of earthly maneuvering about authority because he knows how much more there is and because he is the authority. But think how deeply invested these people were for their beliefs about how religious and social political life should go. Yet here we have to have this situation explained to us because the particulars are so far removed and forgotten from where we live today. So we have to think about that and what we hold on to is so important will one day be gone. The older I get, the more I understand why people wanted Jesus to come and rescue them. The world has been broken for a long time and humankind has tried various ways to govern themselves. And every generation has to deal with leaders they like and ones that they don't. There have been and continue to be all kinds of turbulent political times in every corner of the world. 
autocrats who thirst for power, governments that suppress rights, people starving for lack of work and lack of any leadership, authorities arresting citizens for expressing simple freedoms, anarchy and violence, mayhem and hopelessness among the people, while those in charge live in splendor, and political giants use smaller countries as pawns to gain more power and control. As Christians, we often lament how the people in Jesus' time didn't understand how he wasn't there to bring political change. But can we acknowledge why they might want that? Why so many throughout the ages and even today might long for a Messiah to come and rescue them from their current context? Jesus looked for change in the hearts and minds of people, not in specific political structures. He looked beyond what was temporary and chose to start with individuals, knowing that the new transformation of life he offered would bring change to families, to religious institutions, communities, and societies for all time. What begins small fans out to offer true change through his Holy Spirit, as good as worked, across whole spectrums of groups and systems. Jesus' answer is profound because it is simple while also satisfying and mystifying both sides. He asks for a coin to be brought. On the coin is a picture of the emperor Tiberius and the words saying that he is the divine Caesar and high priest of the Roman nation, signifying that the money of that time and place belonged to him. So they ask Jesus if, according to the law of God, they have to pay the tax of the Roman leader. Jesus says, yes. If you enjoy the benefits of living in the empire, pay the tax that you're required to pay. But also remember to give to God those things that belong to him. Now we, like them, live in two worlds. One is the temporary where we seek to be responsible people who live under the authority of a government that we're not always necessarily going to agree with no matter how much we exert our political will. We have rights and responsibilities. We get to vote. We in this country have great freedom. But we also live in the eternal world where God rules. He is king over both realms, although those who do not know him refute that fact and don't see it. Our entire lives belong to God. So whatever we give to the government has to come from our commitment that we have made to be part of God's life. However we vote, however we participate in civic life should always have its genesis, its beginning in what we believe about God and how he is leading us. This is why our behavior and our words and how we treat one another matter in all the discussions that we have about political and social issues because we represent our high king and his realm in all of our dealings. And he has called us to love others the way that he has loved us, the way he has taught us to love. In communion, we bow down before our king. We accept the elements as a symbol of what he has given for us to live. Part of giving to God what belongs to him is honor and confession and submission. 
We come and we offer our very selves in recognition for what he has done for us on the cross, for how he is working in the world. We come not in grudging obligation as a tax, but in great love for the one who rules with justice and true authority. We are made in his image and we worship him only. So this morning, if Jesus is your king, we invite you to come and worship him in this act of communion, a remembrance he instituted for those who follow him. And as we eat the bread and drink the juice, we show our allegiance to the throne of God. May this be a time of thankfulness to the one who has died in our place and risen to new life. We rejoice in the new life offered to us, and we commit to live for him until he comes again. Let us say the words of the liturgy together. You who truly and earnestly repent of your sins, who live in love and peace with your neighbors, and who intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and humbly kneeling, make your honest confession to Almighty God. Let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. O Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who with great mercy has promised forgiveness to all who turn to you with hearty repentance and true faith. Have mercy upon us. Pardon and deliver us from our sins. Make us strong and faithful in all goodness and bring us to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Together. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who gave in love your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who by his sacrifice offered once for all did provide a full, perfect, and sufficient atonement for the sins of the whole world. We come now to your table in obedience to your Son, Jesus Christ, who in his holy gospel commanded us to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until he comes again. Together. Here. Hear us, oh, sorry. Hear us, O merciful Father, we humbly ask and grant that we, receiving this bread and this cup as he commanded, and in the memory of his passion and death, may partake of his most blessed body and blood. In the night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take eat this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me 
In like manner, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. This morning we have bread and also uh, gluten-free crackers. And we invite you to come and to have this be a time with you and the Lord, a time that you acknowledge who he is in your life, a time that you listen to him, giving him the things that are on your heart. May this be a time of prayer. You may kneel or take the elements back to your seat. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.